0: Um, We're moving into the sixth episode installment, the sixth sermon in the series that we call The Almost. This is the penultimate, which simply means second to last. So, um, and we're going to see God's power exposed through weakness, which is a miracle all the time. And, you know, we've been talking about all these traditional miracles, miracles of nature, miracles of healing, miracles of resurrection, miracles of even exorcism. That's what we've been dealing with. But today we're dealing with something that's a little bit different. And you might not think that they're miracles, but as we look at these two stories, you'll recognize that they really are miracles. But before before we start, I want to ask you a question, what is the hardest thing that you've ever done the hardest thing that you 've ever had to do, I want you to think about it, think about it in your head, think about it in your heart, um, and how were you able to do it? Was it just your like you know grit, your stick itiveness was that just strong enough was it was it um, was it in your hands? Was it something that you could control? Was it something that you created for yourself and that made it hard to get through? What was the hardest thing you 've ever had to go through? I have two hardest moments, two hardest moments and um, The first one was when, and I've mentioned these before, but um, the first one was when my daughter was born. And as she was being born, we recognized that she was breech and um, kind of at the last moment. And so they whisked my wife in the gurney away and um, threw some scrubs at me and said, we'll come get you. I'm like, what for? Um, Because I don't know what to do. And um, so I'm standing there, I've got the scrubs on, the, the machines are still blinking, and all of a sudden I recognized that I could lose everything that mattered to me. And I had this moment of clarity of, like, oh no, this, this could be it. And just the will to continue to go on, the will to not just break down and fall on the floor and just cry was just incredible. It was one of the hardest moments of my life. And obviously, probably the second hardest moment of my life, I mean, I, I'm not ranking them, but another hard moment in my life was um, when my dad asked to have his drain pulled from his chest cavity, knowing full well that at that moment he would start to die for real and that as his lungs filled up, he would ultimately succumb to essentially drowning. And, um, and that conversation that I had with him when, when that's what he asked for and the doctor walked out and my wife and my mom and my sister walked out And I looked at him and I said, Dad, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I have faith, but I'm going to miss you guys. And walking through those next few hours are some of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But, you know, when we have to walk through something really difficult, sometimes a simple faithfulness to God is miraculous. And today we are looking at the faithfulness of Jesus and of Paul as they look towards the work that they were being given. And today's texts may not seem like miracles, but they are. The willful continuing in the face of evil, in the face of difficulty, in the face of suffering can be an incredible insight into this world that we've talked about called the almost. The way the world was supposed to be and the way the world will be again and how we see it expressed most profoundly in the miracles of Jesus. But today, we're talking about the miracle of staying the course. So there's two situations, one, Jesus, and one with Paul. And I thought we'd see how Jesus had miraculous fortitude in the face of difficulty, and then how Paul, a follower of Jesus, handled it as well. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26, and then we'll go to, I think it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, we'll get there, um, but we're starting Matthew 26, we'll be reading from the New Living Translation, if you're at home, we, li- we read from the New Living Translation, begins like this, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. So the word Gethsemane means olive press, and it is a grove of olive trees where he was going. Now we go there in, in our on our summer tours, and just for the record, I, I want you to know we made the decision this week to um, to to cancel this summer's or really postpone until next year, this summer's tour. Um, a couple of reasons, number one, there wasn't a lot of traction. We had some people that had put deposits down but not probably enough to make it a real great trip and we wanna make sure we always have a good experience. Secondly, um, with the work that we've been doing with the North American division and this sort of thing, they, they have a pastor's conference. 7,000 pastors are coming together before the general conference session, um, which is somewhere. And um, I think we're going to Kentucky. And they've asked us to come and present speak about what we're doing. And so we thought that that was probably appropriate and good for the growth of the church within the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so that's what, that's one of the reasons we're going to do that. But if you have put down your deposit, you've gotten an email and you know everything. So anyway, we won't be advertising it anymore until we get closer to next year. However, all that to say, when we go there, it's fascinating when you go there because there's still a grove of olive trees. And most tour guides, as you walk by this grove of olive trees, they go, and these are the trees that Jesus prayed under. And our tour guide's like, no, that's not, that's not true. Um, he's like, yeah, olive trees don't, don't live 2,000 years, just so you know. I think they live about like three or 400, if I remember correctly. And somebody here is probably like an olive tree person. And you're like, that's not true. Um, I don't know. They don't live 2,000 years, though. We'll say it that way. And um, anyway, Jesus is there, and he said, sit here while I go over to pray because he brought some people with him who did he bring he took peter and zebedee's two sons john james and john and became anguished and distressed. So he brought his inner circle. We all have the inner circle of friends, don't we? Whether it's from high school, junior high, college, graduate school, whatever. They know you, you know them, and they have your back. And we all need these people, even if there's only one of them. We need somebody who has our back. We need an inner circle of friends that, we can, that will walk with us through the difficult times. And this was a difficult time for Jesus because it says Jesus, and the better interpretation is that Jesus was crushed with anguish. I don't know, if you ever felt crushed with anguish? Man, that's a powerful phrase. And there was a reason that he was crushed with anguish. Not simply because he had a big job to do. It wasn't about the responsibility that he was taking on. But it was because he recognized that he was doing it alone. He knew the impending struggle was something that was difficult. And while, while misery loves company, suffering needs support. And Jesus was searching for that. He didn't get it with his friends in the way that he was hoping for as as the story unfolds, but he needed their support. And we've all had friends who have dropped the ball. The second reason why this was so difficult was that he recognized that he was about to be isolated from his father where he knew, you know, where he had never been separated from his father before. And so he knew the impending struggle was something that would take him away from the source of love and joy and peace and compassion in his life. And this was probably his humanity talking And we all know this, suffering alone is always worse. And in fact, today, I guarantee you, there are people in this room, it might be you, who are suffering and you're suffering silently. You're suffering alone and you think that no one understands the struggle that you're going through. No one has felt the way that you do. And you are being torn up inside and you think you have to do it alone. I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to do it alone. Not only is there a God who understands your suffering, knows it, and has been through 10 times more than you could ever go through, you also have a community of people that God has called to surround you and lift you up in the midst of your suffering. We are a church, friends. What it means to be a church is that we don't let people suffer alone. It means that we coalesce around them, and we hold them, and we carry them through when they can't walk anymore, because that's what it means to be a community of Christ. We didn't come together just to consume worship. We didn't come together just to hear a good sermon. We came, to be, we came together to be the body of Christ. And that means when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And that means we take care of each other. So if you feel like you're alone today, you are not. And you need to reach out to somebody. Whether it's your circle of friends, whether it's somebody you don't even know here, we are here to help you. That's what we commit when we walk in this building and say we are Crosswalk Church, friends. Jumping back into the story, Matthew 26, 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch over me. He felt like he was dying from a broken heart. He's in deep sorrow. and Jesus needed the emotional support of his friends, frustrated that it doesn't necessarily happen. And it's crazy to think that God put his heart in the hands of his friends and said, just work with me here. And really, what was so hard about his request, right? Stay awake a little bit. It was probably nothing. However, to suffer with someone means to step into their shoes. And this is hard. And the disciples had a hard time doing this. I, I used to work with a guy named Dustin Aho. We're still good friends. And um, he, we worked together for a while. He was from Africa. And he, he would say to me, Oh, that's not my monkey. Oh, that's not my monkey. And after a while, I was like, Why do you keep talking about monkeys? What do you mean here? And he said, oh, well, here's the thing. In Africa, if a monkey's following you, it means you probably fed it. And so now it's your monkey. He's like, so I make sure that I don't feed anybody else's monkey because I don't want it to be my monkey. He was talking about problems, right? He'd be like, oh, that's not my monkey. That's your monkey. I'm not feeding that monkey. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Stop saying it. It's weird. Um, But but no, and this is, right? That's what you do. We are here to take one another's monkey, right? I'll stop saying monkey because I know it's getting weird. I get it. But... But we're here to take one another's burdens. That's what we're supposed to do. And then it says this in 2639, he went on a little farther and he bowed his face to the ground praying, Father, if it is possible in this cup of suffering, if, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Now you notice he doesn't say, I'd like to give you this cup of suffering. He says, if this cup of suffering can be taken away from me, it's in the passive tense. So he's saying, listen, if you wanna take it, here it is. Yet in the same breath, he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, and friends understand this, he miraculously gave up control. The miraculous might not have been just in the radical obedience, but actually in the radical submission, in the super submission that he said. In the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his turmoil, he says, not mine, but your will. And and this prayer is a miracle Every time someone prays it, every time you pray this prayer in your life, it is a miracle because you are giving up control of your life. You are dying to self and you're giving it away to God. That is a miracle of faith, friends. It is not something that is easy to do. And and listen, you may have been following Jesus a long time and never said this. Yes, Jesus is Lord of your life, but you haven't given him everything yet. You're holding back. You've got something on the back burner just in case this God thing doesn't work out. That's not radical obedience. That's agreeing to be in proximity. Radical obedience says, not my will, but your will. Radical obedience needs unreasonable submission. We do this with faith that God has a plan, that He knows better than we do, and that He won't hurt us. And that is crazy to think. We don't give that kind of submission to almost anyone in our lives. But this is what God wants, and this is what God asks for. And when we give it to Him, everything changes. Matthew 26:40. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch me even one hour? Did you have to get back on Facebook? Come on, man. Because you know that's what it would be today, right? It wouldn't be that people who were asleep. It's out there just looking at their phones. Couldn't you watch with me even an hour? Now, he's frustrated, and I wonder if there's not a little transference, because Jesus is going through it. He is in the struggle, and he sees these guys sleeping, and he's transferring some of his frustration, some of his anxiety, some of his anguish, and he's like, hey, man, can't you even stay awake for an hour? Can't you pray with me for an hour? Listen, when was the last time you prayed for an hour? I mean an hour, like a real hour, not like eight seconds, right? Because that's what we pray, and then we're done, and then we're good, I'm talking about when was the last time you shut it all down, you got on your knees and you prayed for an hour. I'll tell you what happens. After about the 13 minutes, you don't have anything else to say. So all of a sudden, you got to listen, which is a deeply forgotten part of prayer. Because, oh, do we like to talk. But every once in a while, you think the God of the universe has something to say in response? I think he might. He might. So I think that we have to take a step back and sometimes listen. Because prayer is a spiritual discipline, friends. It's important. It is your sacred time. And if you never take it, you're missing a key to God's discipleship of your heart in your life. And And I think prayer needs to have three things. Prayer needs to have three things. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be constant, and it needs to be crucial. Consistent, I think you need to know that this is something you will do every day. Constant, I think we need to move past just doing it at a particular time to doing it all the time. And then crucial, it means that you gotta tell the truth. You gotta actually talk to God about the crucial things in your life. Not just asking for things, but listening for things. Tell the truth. Make it dialogical. That means you shut up as much as you talk. So we need some protracted time to do that. Anyway, Jesus goes back to him and he's like, come on. And then he says this in 2641, keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And I think here he actually backs off a little bit, is what it feels like. He's like, Listen, I, I know, I, listen, you want to do this, but I know you're having a hard time. Like I think he steps back for a second. He recognizes their human frailty and why they can't focus. Jesus then leaves them a second time, it says in verse 42, and he prayed. And he prays with resignation. He says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, I'll drink it. Your will be done. And he's resigned. And listen, resignation sometimes feels defeatist. Right, It feels like, well, I guess there's nothing else I can do. That's not what this is. This is resignation. I am willing to move into your will, not my will. And when you resign to something, you go, okay, I'm in. I'm all in. And by the way, all in is not always all excited about being all in. Especially when God is calling you to something hard. All in is like, all right, let's go. It's the, all right, let's make it happen. Because Jesus was not excited about this. You wouldn't be either. But his resignation was his submission. And his submission led him to amazing things. It led him to salvation on a cross for us. And anytime you resign yourself to something, something happens. This is why we're gonna take a look at Paul, right? We're gonna take a look at Paul because it seems almost silly to ask. Paul is like so prevalent in the New Testament that why do we even need to talk about him really when it comes to like his decision to follow Christ? But it's important. So we're looking at 2 Corinthians 12, seven. He's kind of in the midst of a conversation. He's kind of explaining who he is and what he's done. And so we kind of jump in the middle of a sentence. I don't normally do that, but it seemed appropriate today. It says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So he's kind of in the midst of this conversation. Listen, God's given me such great things. But he also knows that he's got to watch himself. So he says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Now, and you got to remember this. Most people think it was... It was eyesight, perhaps, and it very well could have been. But you got to understand where that comes from. It wasn't just that Paul had bad eyesight; it was that Paul, and he actually mentions this in Second Corinthians eleven. In the other two, ver- in the other two services, I said it was in Galatians. I was confused. It's in uh, it's in Second Corinthians eleven. He starts talking about what he's been through, how many times he's been whipped by a cat on nine tails. Forty lashes minus one. It's a lot. And you think about it. You get hit like that in, in the first century, and as you heal, you're gonna get these horrible scars. Chances are he had he had scars over scars over scars, it would be tender, and so he's almost hunched over. He's beaten, I think, with a Roman rod three times. A Roman rod's about this long, it's about that thick, it's like the, the thick end of a baseball bat. You know what it would feel like to get beaten by soldiers? With that, you put your hands up, it would break your arms, it would break your fingers, and of course it would give you significant head trauma. Did he have bad eyesight? Probably, because he probably had disconnected, you know, retinas. He he was stoned. Not how you think. I don't know how what you thought getting stoned. Beanstone? Do we say it that way? That makes more sense, huh? I don't, know, I don't know what you think beanstone was like, but I think when I was younger, I used to think like, like everybody would take little rocks and just pelt you with little rocks. It would be horrible. But that's not what it is. They put you in a pit and then they take the biggest rocks they can lift and they dump them on you. Of course, it's gonna break you in so many different ways. In fact, he was stoned to the point, he had been stoned, I gotta say it right, he had been stoned to the point where they thought he was dead and they prayed for his resurrection. So did he have some thorns in his flesh? Yeah, but he recognized there might be a purpose for them. Right? 2 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, listen, three times, I begged the Lord to take this away. He he's acknowledging that he has straight up asked God to take away the thorn that he's having to deal with. And sometimes we do that too, right? Sometimes we say, Lord, I don't wanna do this. Lord, this is too hard for me. Lord, take this away. Lord, this is just uncomfortable and I'd rather not do it. We pray those same prayers three times. This guy who absolutely followed Christ probably better than anyone has in history for, before or since, this guy begs three times and God says, no. Lord, take it away. Wow. And each time, this is what he interpreted each time, God said to him, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so Paul always, like his pendulum swings really far. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. He said, listen, I got, this, I got these weaknesses so God wouldn't make me proud. Now I'm proud to boast about these weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul recognizes that there's something else at play here. It's not simply his desire, it is God at work helping him focus. And so I wonder this, do you believe that grace is all you need? I mean, really, that grace is all you need because if you believe that grace is all you need, you would chase different things in your life. You would chase the grace of God. You would chase the relationship with God more than you would chase the things in your career, the things in your life. You would chase what God has for you and what God wants for you, that free gift of salvation that he gives. His grace is sufficient for everything that you need. And listen, what, is it, what does it mean that God's power works best in weakness? The almost that we're talking about is very contradictory. God uses fools. He uses the weak, the frail. And honestly, the not-so-bright, you've read about the disciples, right? You see, God chooses all the wrong people to do all the right things. God chooses all the wrong people to do all the right things. Every hero of Scripture had some pretty serious failing. God made the miraculous happen because he was willing to work beyond what anyone could have expected, beyond the tools that people had naturally. Because when you say yes to God, it is a miraculous yes, and God will do miraculous things with you. The almost is revealed in the weaknesses that we have. And it's not even that we necessarily become strong, but it's because we remain, we abide and we recognize that this is the place to be even amidst the suffering even amidst the unsure even amidst all of it we are asked to have radical obedience and super submission and so paul's pendulum swings even further in second corinthians 12:10 and he says that's why i take pleasure in my weaknesses so now i'm not even boasting about it now i'm taking pleasure in my weaknesses like come on paul easy And in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. Paul decided that he was all in. These sentences and these phrases don't make sense to most of us. Even to so many of us who call ourselves Christians because we still got something on the back burner. We haven't jumped all the way in. We haven't believed that grace is actually sufficient, that grace is actually enough. Because I guarantee you, if we believe that, we would be the crazy ones. We would be doing the things that people think are foolish because God uses foolish things. We would be the ones who would step away from things that seemed comfortable because we were ready to move into a different way. Is our obedience radical? That's the question. I mean to the point of foolish. When you say you believe that the grace of God is enough, are you stepping out in faith at all? Are you scared about what is next? Because if you're not, is it even faith? Is your submission complete? Have you given your life, not just your heart, but your life over to the will of God? And are you willing to suffer for it, even if we don't even know exactly what that means? And is the almost becoming more visible in you because of that radical Obedience and super submission. Because there's a group of people where it was becoming more visible. A century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one way missionaries. They purchased one way tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed in coffins because they knew they were never coming home. A.W. Milne, I'm not sure that's how you say it, but it's M-I-L-N-E, A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that headhunters who lived there had martyred every single missionary that had come before. Some say that they were cannibals. But Meli didn't fear for his life because he'd already died to himself. His coffin was packed. So he gets there, and then for 35 years, he ministers to these people. He lives among them and he loves them. When he died, 35 years later, the tribe members buried him in the middle of their village in a place of honor and inscribed on the epitaph of his tombstone. It says, when he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. He didn't fear for his life because he had given it away a long time ago. He stepped into the unknown that is the almost, Because he was already living there. He recognized that grace was all that he needed from God. So he packed his coffin and he went. What will they say about your life? What will they say about mine? Radical obedience? Super submission? Or slow obsolescence? He believed once, but he never did anything with it. She was all in, it felt like, but then we didn't know what happened to her. She stopped coming to church. She stopped serving. She stopped leaning into the grace of God. She got really good at her job. There's no place for God in her competency anymore. What will they say about your life? Did you take that one-way ticket? Did you pack your coffin? And did you go? Because it's not easy. It's not simple. But it is the only way to live if we call ourselves Christians. Because there's no half measures in Christianity. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't almost save you. He saved you completely. And so that's how we have to live our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, give us that one-way ticket. Teach us to pack our coffins. And Lord, just use us in our weakness. Carry us through. When we step out in faith, knowing that this is something that you want, while it feels like there's a lot to worry about, we really have misplaced our worry. Because you provide and your abundance is enough. And what we're supposed to do, we can do with you. So Lord, If you want to take the cup away, go ahead. But if not, we'll drink it. We'll take it. We'll rejoice in our sufferings. We'll be proud of our weakness knowing that you can use us even more. Because with you, Lord, that's when we see a victory. Pray this in your name. Amen.